And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today I'm going to be answering some listener questions, or more specifically, I'm going to be asking some listener questions with the help from two lovely fellas. Up first is a man who I will physically remove from the country. If Yunus Musa ends up getting called up by England, it's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. I abandoned my country a long time ago. Please don't make me go back there. Please don't make me go back. I'm not welcome. I will not, but if England do call him up, uh, also here with me today is a man who I'm assuming would help me physically remove Ryan because someone's got to pay for it. It's Adam Snavely. Hello, Adam. Yes, Taylor. I am the person that would be smuggling him out of this country and back to England because somehow I still have the most English-sounding name on this <laughs> podcast. Ooh, man, that we have got a we have got an English off here. I, well, mine I always think is English, but then I am reliably informed by every single English person I meet. Why do I have a surname as a first name? I get that question a lot, so I'll <laughs> knock myself out and say, yeah, Adam Whitaker Snavely versus Ryan. Ooh, I feel like I still know Ryan's middle name, but can't remember it. Ryan, what's your middle name? Jay. Ryan Jay. Oh, of course it is. Is that the Homer Simpson Jay, where it's the initial, but it's actually also the name? It's precisely that. My parents watched the episode of The Simpsons before they uh, named me. Yeah, <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, Ryan, I, I, I suspect you have maybe fewer thoughts on the current U.S. men's national team that we saw beat Panama 6-2. to two, But Adam, I'm guessing you've got a few. So did want to give you a moment to talk about anything you particularly liked or did not like from the USA's friendly last night. Um, yes. I uh, First of all, I would like to send my thoughts and prayers to... Um, to Joe Lowry's heart after watching John Brooks uh, spray the ball around the field with his left foot. Cause I know that that was uh, probably a lot for him to take as a, a noted proponent of center backs getting up and passing the ball. Well, so um, yeah, uh, I had fun. I, I, I think that the biggest takeaway that I had from the United States games against Wales and then Panama's whatever that was BC team, uh, historic D team. It, it was, it was a very bad Panama team, but Nevertheless, I had a lot of fun, and it looked like the people playing on the field for the United States men's national team were having a lot of fun. And you know what? I don't really remember the last time that was the case. And that in itself just feels like a victory for me. Yeah, I was telling Joe last night, it's really fun to watch the United States be the team that makes the other team in possession uncomfortable and force them long and force them into just like, you know what, we're just going to defend the whole game. It was it was a strange thing that I definitely enjoyed. Uh, I'm glad that you did as well, Adam. Ryan, how much international soccer have you been watching on the break? Um, There's been soccer this week. Is that is that what you're saying? 
<laughs> I have no idea. I am. You got very loud to come in with that uh, that observation. Did you turn your mic up in between the introductions? And I'm having mic issues. Is that better? I'm sorry. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh boy! All right. I was like, good. Ryan, Ryan is coming in strong with his opening remarks. So I substituted my exuberance for the US men's national team with volume on my microphone. I hope that's okay. <laughs> that was definitely one of those. Like, can I just let this slide, or am I going to need to say something? I had to say something. Um, Ryan, I do like. Uh, we've we've been optimistic about the U.S. national team. I don't want you to be uh, negative about them, but I I do know that you maybe have a little bit more hesitation overall about this international window. It's something that I have kind of intentionally avoided talking about because I'm just very excited for the national team. I'm very excited to get to see the U.S. play again and some of these new guys come in. But I did want to give you a moment to talk about maybe why you're slightly less interested in the international break this time around. So I know this has been a very exciting international break for the uh, US men's team, and I get that it's been a lot. It's been a minute, and frankly, when your team gets to play in Swansea, that's a very special occasion. When a man is tired of Swansea, he is tired of life, quite frankly. But um, I, I just have my severe doubts about this international break in general. I've been banging this drum quite a lot on social media that it just seems totally unnecessary to be moving players to be moving players out of their respective team bubbles to be meeting up for internationals when we have got such a crowded fixture list at the moment we're having champions league basically every week at the moment we've got you know all the league games piling up and we're going to have cups coming in soon it just seems really ill-judged not only from a fixture perspective but from a health perspective to be having this international break right now and I realize I sound like uh, I am very down on this and maybe because I am yeah I mean I don't think that's necessarily wrong especially when you see the number of players who are either getting injured because we're having a lot of games in a tight time frame or there are players who've picked up COVID and now have that and that will picked up COVID is a weird way to phrase it but you know what I mean uh it, it it is odd I'm but I do again I just kind of find myself in this weird position of like I'm assuming they're doing what they need to do and being responsible and I want to see the U.S. play that is a very like self-interested approach Adam where are you on this one? Uh, as somebody who picked up COVID on my way over to Whole Foods, um, I <laughs> you swung by and I, scooped it up. You know, I just wanted to make that joke, and I didn't have anywhere to actually land it. I just had the kind of the middle part of it, so I, I say that <laughs> it is a concern, and I kind of I'm I, I I'm I don't know how to feel about mm-hmm. it per se. I, I yeah. I'm at the point where. I am pro things that bring people joy at this yeah. point in at this particular time that we are living in. And so I, I think that that means that I'm, I'm pro soccer, but I'm also pro, you know, not, not spreading a deadly disease um, yeah. and pro people making smart decisions, possibly smarter decisions than say Mo Salah attending that wedding where we all got the video of it. And then literally like clockwork a week later, we get news from the Egyptian FA that he has coronavirus. It's not great. That's not, not an awesome thing that's happening. Um, I, I will say that it does seem that for a lot of leagues and teams, especially in Europe, it has been pretty consistently, at least it has seemed pretty consistently safe. It seemed like there has not been very many coronavirus cases amongst people playing in these top leagues that we're paying attention to week in, week out, uh, especially not compared to like what happened at the beginning of the MLS bubble, uh, where you had entire teams that were just were eliminated from the competition because they just had out of control coronavirus cases that just kind of swept through their squads entirely. Um, so ah, it, it is a, it is a sticky question, isn't it? 
It is. I, I think like you've you've made a point there that I would agree with, which is like, and it's a difficult one because there are obviously ex- like limitations to this or limits to this. But the idea of like, yeah, in in the time in which coronavirus numbers are spiking and it's a challenging time, maybe those moments, those little moments that spark joy are appreciated. But when those little moments turn into, I don't know an 8,000 person public concert with no masks on, then I think maybe that's where we can kind of draw the line and say, maybe let's not do that. Ryan, was any of that happening? Is that why you're frustrated with the England national team also attending uh, concerts and stuff? Uh, I don't think there were any 8,000 person concerts they were attending, but they weren't really attending training or anything by the looks of the uh, action that I watched. <laughs> and that would be more my issue. Uh, maybe that has tainted my impression of this international break in that England have reverted back to being uh, a dour experience in my life. Well, let's try to make this a not dour experience because, as I said in the beginning, we've got listener questions to answer. These are all $10 questions from $10 a month subscribers and supporters of the show. So we we thank them very much for that and helping us keep the lights on and the bills paid and all that good stuff. Up first is a question from Shreyas Romani who asks, who are your favorite soccer one-hit wonders? Uh, Shreyas says, I would define a one-hit wonder as a player or team. Uh, who had a standout season game or moment in a game before falling off. That hesitation you heard was me, as I want to do, not reading the question fully and not having seen that uh, a team is an option for a one-hit wonder <laughs> until this very moment. Uh, while I process that, uh, Adam, why don't you get us started? Uh, well, while you're feverishly researching one-hit wonder teams, um, just pick Grease 04, because that's everybody's one-hit wonder <laughs> team, right? Yeah, I was going to put Grease 04. It was going to be my answer. Yeah, I think uh-huh, that was a pretty uh-huh, good yeah, one. No. We'll, to you. You know, we'll just fix that last part in post. Just cut out my <laughs> suggestion. And, you know, we'll go with um, So I picked, I picked a person for a particular season, and I'm not sure if it qualifies technically as a one-hit wonder, because he did do decently in other seasons and in other teams and elsewhere. Um, but kind of a peculiar case altogether. Um, and somebody that uh, was really kind of when I was first really, really getting into the game that it was somebody that I was like, this is going to be the next big thing. Like this is going to be the star. I want to play like this person. And it is Adriano. Uh, oh, wow. Brazil's Adriano. And it's weird to think about, especially because there are so many people that I talk to now that I am basically a soccer old in this country that have just started following the game in the last decade or so. Um, and kind of people that caught the bug off of, say, like the U- United States men's team's 2010 World Cup run, um, that sort of thing, that you can say this name and people don't know it at all. And that's, I mean, odd yeah, my me. thought on him is like a punchline as being a larger person. Yeah. Yes. Um, Adam, can I, can I interject here? I think you've misunderstood the, the brief here. The one hit doesn't refer to the amount of uh, shots from a gun he's taken in a nightclub. It's referring to the one-hit wonder nature of his career. Just so, this, just so I clear that up. This is good. No, these are good jokes that the listeners will all enjoy. And this is going to be good because I'm going to make you both feel very bad about making these jokes as I run through the story of Adriano. As we all know, Adriano is a Brazilian forward. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, you listening to the podcast, Adriano was supposed to be kind of the next Ronaldo slash mm-hmm. better at one point in time because he had – and when I say Ronaldo, I mean Brazilian Ronaldo – he had Ronaldo's 
pace and that kind of ability to do to just make the ball disappear on defenders he had that but also he was somehow bigger and stronger than Ronaldo was he was I think some of his uh, Inter Milan teammates said you could be like the perfect mix between Ronaldo and Zlatan that's what you could be if you had your if, if you just fulfilled your potential here and he did not become that player, obviously, and we have heard already the the partying jokes, the friends that he made that were um, possible members of of drug cartels and gangs in Brazil. Uh, the famous photo of Adriano is the one where he is holding a gold plated AK forty seven, which you know we all have. We've all had that moment where we take that photo. <laughs> Just very very normal things to do, um, but. 2004, the summer of 2004, Brazil playing in the Copa America. Adriano scores the goal in extra time to tie Argentina 2-2 in the final. Brazil goes on to win the Copa America on penalties against Argentina, which is a massive, massive moment. Obviously, a huge moment for Adriano, who also sunk his penalty. He went on to that season to score 28 goals in all competitions for Inter Milan. And this is kind of the 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 moment where you're saying this is the person like this is the guy the rise is imminent he is going to be the next big thing but what occurred is that about a week a week and a half after that Copa America final his dad died and after that moment everything kind of changed for Adriano his teammates said that he would be coming to training drunk, that he would be afraid to oversleep training after partying the night before. So he wouldn't sleep, but he would be still be drunk when he came to training as a result. And he was just utterly depressed and kind of just trying to lose a lot of that pain. It seemed in some of the drinking and some of the partying. And it's just, very it's honestly it is it's a funny story in a way because oh adriano got fat oh adriano obviously made a lot of bad decisions but it's also an incredibly sad story of what could have been and i think back to middle school slash early high school adam watching adriano and like some joga benito videos and watching the things he could do and just being kind of amazed that this person had this much control and this much power and all of these things that he could do and i am Still sad for that version of myself and that version of Adriano because I think that we both had a very different vision for where he was going to go. Yeah, like I'm, I'm I did not know that aspect of his story. I think for me, like part of it is that like they kept trying to rehype him up when it was going to be his comeback. They did. They but when you have somebody who's like morbidly out of shape, yeah, like being hyped up for like he's back. It's like to do what? So like I think that's where where some of the the sort of like jokes come from in my mind. But you're right. There is always there are always levels. There's always other stuff going on. So I think that's probably why both of us were silent when you mentioned the cause for his depression. Yeah, uh, I think he did have one appearance for the Miami FC uh, at one point late, late in his career. Uh, I think actually the last stop in his yeah. career, which would make a lot of sense. Miami yeah. being the last stop in lots of people's careers in many different fields. <laughs> All right. So that is Adam's nomination for a one hit wonder. Uh, Ryan, who have you got or what team have you got? Uh, that was an excellent nomination, and I do feel terrible for making my nightclub shooting joke now. Thank you very much, Adam. <laughs> um, I've, I have uh, I have five nominations 
I'll run through them quickly. They all take place within a six-year period. I'm going to throw some oh, names boy. at you, and you'll go, oh, yeah. Ready? Here we go. Stefan El Shirawi. I might have said his surname oh, wrong. Yeah. El Shirawi. <laughs> Stefan yeah. El Shirawi, who had his Mark, breakout fourth with <laughs> the Mohawk guy. Um, mm-hmm. He had his breakout of AC Milan in 2011-12. Uh, he, he became the uh, Milan's youngest ever scorer in the Champions League uh, just before his 20th birthday. He was getting all these huge money offers uh, to come in to, 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 to you know, whisk him away from Milan. Um, but I think Milan maybe wished they should have cashed in on that one because he sort of had this unfortunate arc of injuries that followed that. Uh, and no matter how resilient his hair was, his bones and muscles were not. Uh, and he only made a handful of appearances sort of in the seasons that followed. Sort of accusations that he was overtrained. Uh, he's now at Shanghai Shenhua, I learn, and has been there since 2019. He's only 28 years old still, by the way. Wow. That's a shocker. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Next one for you. Yeah. Unless you want to comment on uh, El Shirawi. I just I forgot he was in China. I forgot he was one of those first wave guys. And he was also a Milan guy who was there when we were all like, the Milan lab is the greatest thing ever and is in no way being manipulated and probably doing some nefarious things. Is that about when he was there? Yeah, near enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the uh, the Mohawk crew when when all the AC Milan players of colors would all wear Mohawks. Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Like, that was kind of like a, a defiant thing against a lot of, like, racism and stuff in Italy at, at the time. Mario was that a Balotelli thing, too? Yeah, Balotelli was there. Yeah. He was doing it. Yeah. All right. All right. So I like that one, Ryan. Who else you got? Rocky Santa Cruz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rocky Santa Cruz. So good. They named him with three names? No, that's terrible. It was 2007, 2008 when uh, he sort of, uh, you know, came to Blackburn uh, Rovers. Uh, and he'd been by Munich before then, sort of you know doing doing decent things but it was when he came to Blackburn where he really sort of became this breakout hit he got 19 goals led Blackburn to seventh place which felt very mid-90s for them to be finishing that high (laughs) so then he earns himself a transfer to Man City for 17 and a half million pounds which in 2007-08 which is the beginning of Man City's Mm -hmm. um, uh, well they were founded in 2008 weren't they Um, that was you know that was a big deal for them coming coming in at that time he only got Three goals for Manchester City, says my notes, which still sounds quite unbelievable. Um, and he didn't do much after that uh, that season with Blackburn, essentially. But his agent did very well because he became the best paid player in Liga Emekis when he went to Cruz Azul after Man City. So well done to his agent. He was Roque Santa Cruz is one of those guys when like Man City first had that takeover where they were just sort of like splash the cash on anybody because we've got to show that we can sign people. That's when they signed, I think, both the Torre brothers. And mm-hmm. then that's the window where they end up signing Rubinho as well. That was a strange time where they were just like throw all the money out. We've got to make some statements. And I'm not quite sure they did that entirely. I'm not sure Mark Hughes would have been the statement either. But yeah, Roque Santa Cruz was definitely one of those like, all right, I guess they're going to build their entire attack around him. Oh, no, they're definitely not. OK, cool. Good times for him. Isn't Rocket Santa Cruz still playing? He's 39 and he's still playing in Paraguay. You're quite yeah. right. Yeah. There we go. Amazing. There we go. So not that much of a one-hit wonder then, although I guess I'm not really up on the Paraguayan league, so I can't say for sure how he's doing there. He's, uh, he's, Ryan... still, um, he's still playing the hits. They're not making the top 10 anymore. <laughs> let's, let's put it like that. Um, my next nominee, I will deliver in the style of Weezer. <clears throat> Michu, ah-ha. Oh Michu, ah-ha. It's Michu. Um, you may remember came to uh, the aforementioned Swansea uh, from Real Vercano. Uh, this was 2012-13. He only cost two million pounds. Oh, yeah. He cost two million pounds when he came over. And you might remember that Michu was quite a hit in his Premier League debut season. 
and he got 18 league goals, put Swansea in the top half of the Premier League, and then disappeared off the face of the earth the end. <laughs> that's, that's an abrupt end. Is, is he done? Is he retired? Or he has, is he, there more to that one? He has, he has recently retired. He's 34 years old, though. So uh, Rocky Santa Cruz is five years older, but still going strong. Make of that what there you There we want. go. I'm a little bit disappointed Michi never made it to MLS because he seemed, even at the time, even during that, that one season at Swansea, he seemed like this is a person that's destined to be at an MLS team. I would have no problem with that. Let's get Michu into MLS now. Let's make that happen. I'm sure there's some teams who are hit by COVID who wouldn't mind having him. Uh, So we could do that. While we do that, Ryan, where else are we going? Two more for you. Two more lesser known players, but you may know them. Uh, I'll I'll go with uh, Graffiti. I think that's how you say his name. Like Graffiti. Graffiti. Brazilian striker who made his name with Wolfsburg in 2008-09. He scored 28 goals for Wolfsburg. Uh, He was partnered by Edin Dzeko, who got 26 goals that season. They scored some goals, that team. Uh, and they, they obviously won the league in the Bundesliga that year. That was their first and only league title. Uh, Graffiti was the uh, footballer of the year in Germany. He was the top scorer in the league. He was a Pushkas nominee for a goal he scored against Bayern Munich. And as far as I can see, that was the only European club he actually played for. He, all the rest of his uh, business has been conducted in South America. And he was only really a one-hit wonder in that 2008-09 season. You're building quite the boy band here. You've got four of the five. Who is the fifth? Who's rounding out your uh, your O-Town crew? It's the new radicals with you get what you give. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> good, the good, last good. one I have is Mark Jenko from the same season, 2008-09 for RB Salzburg. He became RB Salzburg's all-time leading goal scorer for a single campaign. In half a season, uh, in that season, he, sc- he scored 39 goals that year in 08-09. Uh, five hat-tricks within that. They won the league. Mark Jenko, have you heard of him since? No, you haven't. I, I hadn't heard of him before that either. Saying, so I, there you I go. don't know who that person is. <laughs> Austrian dude who scored a lot of goals one year. Hey. Oh, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big fan. Big fan of his. Uh, my, my one quick nomination would be, uh, I, I think this is for people playing the TSS drinking game at home. This is where I mentioned being a Manchester United fan. And I would say it's got to be Federico Makeda. Uh, makes mm. his senior okay. debut for Man United with them trailing 2-1. to one. He scores the winner in the 93rd minute on the like insane turn and shot from no angle that he puts in to the far side netting. He follows that up with, I think, scoring on his debut in the Champions League. I might be wrong, but I know his second game he scores as well. And then that's pretty much it. He, he gets loaned out to a bunch of different teams, I think is also still playing, but not for Manchester United. But I just remember those texts of like, who is this Makeda person? When people were trying to figure out what happened there. I'm also sort of shocked because my mind still works in a way that like, oh yeah, that happened like two or three years ago, Makeda. And realizing that it was 2009 was a painful revelation for me personally. Ryan, did you have that same thing when you were looking at some of your players? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I was just looking at Federico Macheda's career. I remember he went to some low league teams. He was at Doncaster twice. Everybody's dream. That's what everybody wants in twice. life is to be at Doncaster twice. Uh, but yes, that's my very brief answer. But Federico, Federico Makeda, uh, I'm going to go ahead and unilaterally say is the correct answer. So one point to me. There are points now. Uh, oh. Jackie Choi with the next question. Eddie Howe is still unemployed. Uh, hurtful, but true. What current Premier League or other top five league team would benefit most from him taking over as manager? Uh, who wants to take this one? Adam or Ryan? Oh, yours, Adam. Oh, okay. All right. All right. It, it is all mine. Is it terribly offensive to the English if I say none of them? 
Uh, it is not. I, I do have an English team, but it is a strange thing because I found that like some of the teams that I would normally go with are in much stronger positions than yeah. you would usually think. Yeah. So Everton, Tottenham are two teams that he was linked with, and now I'm pretty sure there's no way he's yeah. going to replace Jose Mourinho also, or Carlo Ancelotti. Adam, one of those teams had David Moyes. Bear that in mind. Yeah, that, that is true, <laughs> but somehow West Ham have, have kind of like attuned themselves to the chaos a little bit sure. and and are just getting those random results as as far as you need and are doing better than Bournemouth did last year even with David Moyes at the helm so you you wonder is is Eddie Howe the person I also think that the Eddie Howe mythology has kind of worn off a little bit um I don't that might just be me but kind of looking back at his Bournemouth tenure over the years and looking back at his seasons and especially now in light of the season that Bournemouth had last year when they got relegated and all that stuff. Bournemouth were a team that kind of really embodied the, the attacking chaos of the premier league and did not care very much about defense at all. If you, if you look at just the, just the raw numbers of Bournemouth through their five years in the Premier League under Eddie Howe, every single one of them, they're a bottom five team in the league in terms of goals allowed. Even the year they finished ninth, there was only, I believe it was three teams that gave up more goals than they did. And it was by like one or two. It wasn't by a ton of goals. It was, it was like they gave up 67 goals and somebody else gave up 68 and somebody else gave up 69 and somebody else gave up 70. And I don't know. If looking at the Premier League, is there somebody in one of the top five leagues in general that would use Eddie Howe? Sure, probably, definitely. Uh, but looking at the Premier League, because that's where I kind of think that everybody expects him to be and everybody, I, I think that Eddie Howe probably wants to be. I'm just not sure anymore because you have that that kind of you have that kind of thing where you had people that were suggesting Tottenham and Everton and even people suggesting Arsenal um, as, as possible landing spots for Eddie Howe. And all of a sudden those spots seem pretty full. Jose Mourinho has taken surprisingly well to Tottenham. Carlo Ancelotti has gotten really good results out of Everton. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal aren't awesome, but it's still Mikel Arteta. So he's probably going to get a longer leash than most people with that team. More more on him later. More on that later. Um, I think that if you look at his teams and kind of look at him too, the relegation grind really started to nullify a lot of Bournemouth's attacking ideas over the years and it kind of took a toll on him. So ideally, if you have to pick a team for him where the the winning condition is simply go score more and not worry so much about defense and you have kind of a good enough team. Is this all preamble to your pick? And depth that relegation isn't really fathomable. I guess that the team would be Manchester United? Whoa! Yeah, it's not a bad shout, man. It, it, it was on there for me. I think the the huge thing that would stop him is the name recognition aspect, and sure. it's the same thing that hit David Moyes, is the idea of, like, who's this guy? And, like, why, why should we play for him? Like, I think a club that size, you have to have that name recognition, but I'm with you that... For what he did with Bournemouth, it's like he made them into this proactive attacking team that pressed. He did a lot with a little. He wasn't maybe getting as much money as he would have liked, or certainly not as much as like other bigger clubs. That seems like it's going to be the case at Man United. So I, I think that there is a like like a a good idea there. I just don't think they would ever do it because that would require them to like have faith in an 
a lesser known manager, whereas they could just hire bigger names and have that not work out. Ryan, what do you think about Eddie Howe at Manchester United or elsewhere? Um, I enjoyed Adam's exploration of the Eddie Howe mythology there, and I'd like to see how the EHCU, the Eddie Howe Cinematic Universe, will um, (laughs) carry on the story. But I think Adam makes a very good point there about whether he would necessarily benefit any team. Because, yes, you look at him and he's had great success, you know, three promotions with Bournemouth, has this sort of uh, attractive possession-based, high-pressing, you know, good work rate. A lot of the things we look for in a modern soccer team, you know, having some nice wide players and some fullbacks overlapping all the, all the good stuff that Eddie Howe does but then you look at the the extenuating circumstances of that success in that Bournemouth did have quite a lot of money pumped into them a lot of money pumped into them they were as Adam says quite poor defensively and they did certainly look a bit of a shambles when they went down and when we've looked at Eddie Howe outside of the uh, BCU the Bournemouth Cinematic Universe he wasn't very good at Burnley when he had a little spell there um, I kind of forgot that happened until I was reading about him today. And I was like, oh, they, they, they're they confusing Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe. And then I realized what had happened. You just <laughs> thought Sean Dyche has been eating worms there for 20 years, but he hasn't. I just uh, assumed, yeah, he was there since the founding and they just unfreeze him when they need him and they freeze him back up when they don't. That makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> so, so Eddie Howe has been linked in recent days and weeks with uh, with Derby, um, who, who have Wayne Rooney at their helm. Uh, they've sure been linked with Celtic. And he's been linked with DC United, interestingly. But if I was to think of the teams most likely in the top five leagues of Europe to take him on, two names jump out at me, Newcastle and Crystal Palace. They just seem like they've got Eddie Howe written all over both of them. Mm. At some point, Eddie Howe is going to be at Newcastle, and it feels like he's a very Crystal palace kind of guy. Does that it's make a, sense? It's a, it's a, it's a feel fact to steal a phrase from SNL. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 full disclosure, I have Crystal Palace as my answer as well. Uh, so I, I, I am excited to hear why you think Crystal Palace is a perfect fit. And to be honest, Adam, I think I cut you off with Man United, so I'd still like to know why you think Man United works too. I think they're, they're not necessarily my picks. I'm just saying that's where I think most likely he'll uh, end up. Okay, and I think they're the caliber of team. If Eddie Howe is going to break in, if if we're going to feel sorry for the millionaire in his 40s and want him to get another job, even though you know he's probably happy sitting on a beach, um, you know, then these are the kind of clubs where he'll end up getting a job. I think. But I had a little. I, I thought a little hard. I pushed my tiny little brain a little harder on this one. I thought of a couple of continental clubs what about Schalke currently struggling we know that um, Eddie Howe is good at making you know teams better than the sum of their parts and Schalke Mm. don't have great parts at the moment so I I was thinking he's the kind of person maybe who could whip up a storm in Gelsenkirchen the other one I had was Valencia we've got Dennis Cherishev and our boy Yunus Musa as wide players and we know that you know Eddie Howe likes to make the wide players um, make some magic. Those are the two names I threw out there. Nothing particularly scientific about it. Just that I thought they could benefit from him both being pretty shoddy teams. So it's basically crisis clubs. He goes to Bournemouth (laughs) and he kind of turns the crisis around. So you're thinking he could do that at other clubs where maybe he'll be given a bit more freedom because he won't be given a bit more money. I mean, yeah, Valencia and their own are not necessarily associated with freedom necessarily. But yeah, I think he could do a job there, essentially. 
All right, so uh, Ryan is banishing him to Germany or Spain. Uh, I was going to banish him to either Crystal Palace because it's a smaller team, but they do tend to have at least some ideas when it comes to attacking football, and I think he could be good about utilizing underutilized uh, or undervalued assets. I did also have Celtic. Uh, if Neil Lennon doesn't continue to win everything and somehow gets sacked, which I think would be a little bit harsh, uh, but that does feel like he could do the Brendan Rodgers route of Celtic and then maybe maybe even succeed uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester if Brendan Rodgers moves to another larger club. Mm. Uh, but those are my two, Palace and Celtic. I wanted to give Adam a chance to uh, talk more about Man United if he wants to. I will say that Crystal Palace makes sense to me because Roy Hodgson has been melting for five years now. And at there is some that. point, you're going to have to to bring somebody in to replace him, and also to clean up that mess. I it's really it's really to be honest, it's one of the more frustrating aspects of the climate change debate that hasn't been covered is the melting Roy the melting Roy think that would get more talk, but it doesn't. It's really affecting us. Um, <laughs> Manchester United basically was my shout just because I don't think that Eddie Howe wants to be at a relegation club. I don't think that he wants to be at a crisis club, and I think that he's probably going to be or at least he wants to be a little bit more selective in who he's picking and is looking for that. He's looking for that Tottenham or Everton, even though that Tottenham or Everton job doesn't really exist in, in a realm where he would get that at this point in time anymore. Um, I picked Manchester United because they're a crisis club that, that aren't really in crisis, you know? Yeah. They, they are in trouble for Manchester United. But I don't think anybody is seriously thinking that Manchester United is going to get relegated. Uh, and I don't think that anybody really thinks that Manchester United is going to be even even close to that conversation. I think people are still thinking, you know, Manchester United probably going to maybe, maybe have to settle for Europa League spots this year. But but they, they're, they're going to get it together. And all I can think of is look at how many weapons you have in attack there. Just forget defense. Who cares about defense? Just let... Let Harry Maguire do his thing. Who knows what he's doing? He probably doesn't know what he's doing. He's had too many concussions. Yeah. Let the attack cook and let everything fall where it may. (laughs) That's, that's, I feel like that should be the way he interviews for Manchester United. That seems like it would go well with Ed Woodward. Like, look, you're in crisis. Let's just see what happens. Let him cook and everything else, let it fall where it does. And I imagine uh, letting him cook would go as well as it did for Walter White, Walter White and Jesse. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style 
and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, more listener questions uh, to come, but first, a word from today's sponsor. Let's talk about Artifact. If Manchester United were to get relegated, uh, you could uh, commission an Artifact about that. I'm sure all the players would love to speak candidly on the record, but more likely is that you could use it to create your own personalized podcast episode. Uh, right now, uh, Artifact is offering listeners the opportunity to commission one for free. Ryan, can you talk a little bit about how they can do that? Oh my gosh, Taylor, I would love to do that. As you would say, you? Yeah. I certainly wouldn't. I'm going to proceed to do so imminently. Right now, the see Athletic the is, uh, on your face. is giving away a free artifact, as Taylor says. All you need to go do is go to heyartifact.com slash athletic contest. I don't know why I went very American with my .com there. You did, I'll and go I again. Payartifact.com slash athletic contest. And tell us what you'd like to make an artifact about. They'll draw a random winner to do a single interview artifact about whatever you want. For example, Taylor, I'm going to interview this. And I'm going to have an artifact made about that time I made a podcast with my two best friends, Taylor and Adam, and it was the most fun night in my life. <laughs> you mean, so you're just going to replay this episode? Well, this is the start of a beautiful friendship, basically. I see. I see. I, see. I, I do actually. I, I would love. I do like the idea of recording a like like a commentary track for an episode. We're not really going to do that because that's a, a level of Chris Ryan and Chuck Chuck Klosterman doing a podcast on how we talk about how we talk about music, and I don't. <laughs> I don't think I need that. Uh, but if you do need an artifact, if you want to commission one for uh, for yourself or someone in your life, uh, you could go the heyartifact.com slash athletic contest route, or you could just go to heyartifact.com and utilize the promo code TSS to get $40 off your first artifact. Once again, that's heyartifact.com. Use the promo code TSS to get $40 off your first artifact. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Ryan, you are the uh, the LinkedIn master when it comes to this show in the sense that you have used it uh, most more recently than 2013. Uh, Adam, I'm guessing you have as well. But Ryan, uh, can you tell us a little bit about LinkedIn? Strap in, Taylor. I'm throwing some facts at you. LinkedIn oh is an active community of professionals with more than 706 million members worldwide. It would be 705 9999 million members worldwide, but I'm there too. You can find me if you want. <laughs> uh, getting started is easy and never with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. You can manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com website as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. And as a user of LinkedIn.com, Taylor, I am very, I'm a very big fan of their jobs uh, section, linkedin.com slash jobs, uh, because if you are searching for a job, uh, it tailors the responses or the potential job matches to your LinkedIn profile and to your location. It's rather wonderful. It is rather wonderful, and it exposes you to uh, different people who could help fill needs in your workforce. Uh, for example, if you need someone who writes poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and can write ads, blogs, campaign mission statements, one-liners for your commercials... I know a person who could help them. Adam, do you know such a person? 
No. <laughs> that's I might why be I go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Adam, you look very professional in your headshot. I have to say, thank you. It's a collared shirt. It's it's very nice. I also, I think, I'm wearing a collared shirt. Ryan, to make it three for three, are you wearing a collared shirt in your LinkedIn profile? I'm not. I'm not square like you two. <laughs> Hurtful, but fair. Uh, LinkedIn does help you identify strong candidates, uh, and you can do this from your mobile device, so you can do it very easily on the fly. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash soccer. Again, that's linkedin.com slash soccer to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. Adam, I'm coming back to you to start this one from Ryan Downey, who asks, a couple weeks ago, The Sun, sorry, I roll. That's the correct way to label The Sun. The Sun ran a story with a graphic comparing Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta's first 26 games. The graphic shows that Arteta has two more losses and one more draw than Emery did in 26 matches in. Even with the 3-0 loss to Aston Villa over the weekend, what is Arteta doing differently to keep the support of fans and club that Emery was unable to maintain? Speaking English. You think? I like Look, he speaks good English and he won the FA Cup as a player for Arsenal and then again as a manager for Arsenal. <laughs> like wow like, right sometimes sometimes the answer is that simple i i think that there is probably some more reason for optimism under mikel arteta and i think that there's also with a lot of arsenal fans and the squad that arsenal currently has with a lot of younger players um that are kind of coming up getting some time under Mikel Arteta. You know, everybody from uh, Martinelli is almost back. Saka and Katia. Um, you've signed Gabriel. Uh, a lot of people that are, I think, looking at Mikel Arteta and looking at this roster and are kind of like, okay, all right. Well, he won a trophy with him, so let's just see how he does when the roster is actually fixed because the roster is a mess. Like, the roster is not good. They still have Callum Chambers on contract. Yeah, I would argue, but where did that roster become a mess? I would say not entirely his fault, but Unai Emery is is certainly a part of that. It's honestly where I get a little bit like sort of frustrated with these narratives because I think it's really easy to do that sort of statistical analysis. It tends to happen whenever you get a new manager coming in. It's like actually they're not doing as well, sure. and it sort of it sort of removes the idea that like if you're renovating a building, uh, like if Ryan if Ryan is renovating a building and it's just a building that's there that he's fixing, that's one thing. If Adam is renovating a building that's been on fire and has a asbestos in it and also like lead and mold a a perfect package that one's going to take a little bit more work and if you're saying like well they both got a building at the same time why couldn't they renovate it renovated it successfully like those things matter to me and i do think unai emery has a slightly stronger team and slightly more money spent at least at this point obviously he was there longer but now i am interjecting myself when instead i should just be asking ryan if he has thoughts on this i have thoughts on this certainly and my building does sound a lot better by the way the other it one really was, does the sorry Adam, on you fire. got the bad one there that was i'm all in the bad building it's fine <laughs> so I, I will start off by saying the article in the uh, red top tabloid that was mentioned earlier I think it's a bit of a, scru- <laughs> a skewed statistic in that when Emery, Uno Emery, easy for me to say, joined Arsenal, you know, let's, let's remember he did come on after Arsene Wenger had a, he had a big sort of, uh, you know, a big stage to fill, as it were. He comes on and two losses straight away to Man City and Chelsea. Then Arsenal win 11 straight 
and he goes 22 games unbeaten. So the fact that, you know, Arteta hasn't done as well as that, it's skewed because a lot of Emery's success was in those first 22, 24 games. Hmm. Um, So I think it's a little bit unfair. And you have to look at, um, uh, by this point also, Arteta's defense is a lot better. You know, conceded 12 fewer goals than Emery had at this same point. Arteta has also won trophies, the FA Cup and the all-important Community Shield as well. But you look at, you know, the, the, the problems that Emery had, you know, he did bring through some young players, but he also had, you know, problems with, uh, with Ramsey, with Ozil not being a soccer player, with Pepe being a bit of a waste of money. And, you know, changing his tactics up an awful lot, which you can say, to be fair, Arteta has been changing his system a little bit too much as well. But also the fact that Emery maybe backed the wrong guy, building his team arguably around Granite Xhaka. Uh, what do you mean? That worked out really well. There was no controversy there. Did it? Did it? I'm not yeah, sure. totally well. I think that <laughs> I think you look at that and you look at Arteta's side and the defense is better. You know, a defensive more important. Maybe the defensive midfielders is better. You look at the game against mm-hmm. Manchester United where you've got that El Neni and Partey uh, uh, partnership, which I yep. waxed lyrical on about the weekend review not so long ago. That is a bit stronger than what what um, Unai Emery had. So yes, uh, Arteta is. Um, maybe switching up his systems and falling down the same uh, hole that uh, that Unai Emery did by switching systems. But, you know, I think this statistic is a little bit misleading because Emery had such a good start and then was pony after that. Pony <laughs> is rhyming slang, and I will explain what it is if you wish. Uh, is, do, do I have to believe something? No, it's a pony and trap, which rhymes with... C R A P for the kids. Okay, that's fine. There. That one you can ah. say. I think we we go with the like like uh, broadcast cable rules. I think on cursing, <laughs> generally speaking. Uh, yeah. So Ryan, I'm with you as well with the defensive record. I think Emery after 78 games, 1.28 goals against Arteta after 40.87. I know we all love numbers and they translate really really well in audio format, but <laughs> there are like things I think that are improving. And I think splitting the difference a little bit. I think a, a thing that both of you all mentioned is sort of his importance to Arsenal and to that team and like what he meant for them even if it was like I I think we all I have this memory of him being this like legendary servant who was there for 15 years which is not quite what he was when it comes to Arsenal but I think you're always going to get a little bit more leeway if you're an ex-player and I think there's maybe because the fans like you a little bit more maybe because you don't seem to have I don't know if he has a scalp or like the top of his head I don't know what's in there because that hairline is so thick (laughs) maybe it's that as well he's a he's a young fashionable guy who has serious Pep Guardiola esque ideas about tactics and I do think that's part of it as well anyone who's a Pep Guardiola disciple it feels like tends to maybe get some extra looks get some extra minutes it reminds me of with like the NFL when there was the run on hiring anybody who had ever worked with Bill Belichick ever and sometimes that was a good idea and sometimes it was not I still think Mikel Arteta ends up being a good idea but I do think there are a couple different explanations for why he's still there. Any other thoughts on Mikel Arteta from either of you or anybody else who's out there? A little known fact about Mikel Arteta's hair is that it's actually a single solid Lego piece. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, that you can't say enough for the fact that he was at one point an Arsenal man and yep. and kind of when that really meant something. You know, like I feel like now I look at I I feel like now I I look at Arsenal's roster and it doesn't quite mean the same thing to be an Arsenal player as what it did even in 2010. Um, But I I think that he's going to get that leeway even past 
what Unai Emery did in in his whatever 50 some games in charge uh, simply by virtue of the fact that he's an Arsenal guy and and he was an Arsenal guy under Arsene Wenger he was an Arsenal man when they won FA Cups and and he also had done that as a manager so I think that he's going to get leeway just via that who are the teams you think who still have that sort of reputation? Because it's an interesting point, and I know what you mean. Like, I would say Man United are in that one as well. Like, teams that have this massive reputation, but also simultaneously, given their current situation or uh, managerial uncertainty or what have you, they don't have that same level of like, oh, they play for them. Like, they're going to be a servant for forever. Like, I would say Bayern Munich is definitely still one of those. And then it gets a little bit harder right now. I think you could still probably make the argument for Liverpool. Oh, yeah, that's fair. All right, so we've got two. What about the Spanish Giants? Ryan, do you have them on that list, or do you have a list at all? I didn't have a list until now, but let's put the Spanish Giants on there, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel like Ryan maybe zoned out while we were just having that conversation? <laughs> let's see if we can pull Ryan back with our next question. I told you I had a tiny brain, I'm sorry. <laughs> From Raghav Gupta. I just picture you doing the uh, Homer Simpson thing of you're watching like uh, old black and white cartoons in your brain. And yeah, I'm there's a cow playing a fiddle in my brain right now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Raghav Gupta, how do teams make big shifts from season to season? Think Villa nearly getting relegated to top-ish of the Premier League. Uh, Ryan, why don't you start us with this one? I've got a few explanations, but I'm excited to hear yours. It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, you look at someone like Villa, for example, and they have made good signings this season. For example, Ollie Watkins has been very prolific coming from Brentford. You know, Matty Cash has been a good signing, Bertrand Triore. So maybe with them, it's a, just an issue of personnel making that big shift. And then you look at, say, Leicester obviously had a big shift from 14-15 uh, to doing rather well the season after. They were bottom of the table until, what, mid-April that season before. And they won, was it seven of their last nine games? And that might have been just, Nigel Pearson booting them very hard in the butt for several months. And that would make me play a lot better because, you know, Nigel Pearson, lest we forget, was essentially the architect of that that league-winning team. But it got got me thinking, there was a quote from Harry Redknapp that's always stuck with me. He said that he was was being a bit blasé about formations and tactics and stuff. And he said it's 10% formation, 90% players. What he's saying is it's all about your talent and the intangibles and getting the most from your talent on the field. You worry about <laughs> all that tactics nonsense leading out your Range Rover later on. Um, so that's not a very good answer to the question, is it? I have not answered it. I've just explained some instances where there have been big shifts. <laughs> I think anytime you're quoting Harry Redknapp as saying, like, tactics aren't important. It's like, we know, Harry, that's why you don't manage anymore. <laughs> we know that that's your policy, my friend. Um, but you, can so, at, you could look at big shift downwards, for example, when it's, say, like, Monaco selling off all their players. That's pretty explainable. But when you get yeah. those big shifts upwards, like, for, for Villa, I see it as, signings and you know just good coaching which they arguably had before well i'd say i'd say one thing to the good signings like from from my from my reading and again i am not the like a massive villa fan but i you know i i got no i got no uh, enmity towards them and i would say that those signings are smart but then they're also smart because they they fill areas of need that like mm-hmm. uh, emmy martinez you want a reliable goalkeeper you get one maddie cash you want a attacking right back because they switch to a back four that's a big part and why they have that run they bring in maddie cash who can do that ollie watkins and ross barkley they want creative uh, providers, I would say those two fit that bill a little bit. I think a lot of that has to do with it never hurts 
money. Money being a big part of this. Well, they have millionaire investment or billionaire investment. That certainly doesn't hurt. I interject on that. Sorry to interrupt you, Taylor, but mm-hmm. you look at say, Watkins and Cash, championship players. That's taking a risk because not you know not always true. it doesn't always pay off in dividends to take players from the lower division to to to, to get success. So they've taken a risk there and it's paid off. So maybe an, another facet of having a big shift season to season is risk taking yeah i I think i think sorry adam uh but i just want to respond to that one because yeah like i think it's risk taking to some degree but then it's also like being calm in your decision making because those new owners like there is a time period in which they think like maybe dean smith isn't the right one things aren't going well maybe now is the time to pull the trigger instead they do not they kind of double down and back him and i think that is also partially why they're able to make the signings they do because he knows this squad in and out he knows exactly what he wants and when you have an approach to to building a team that now the owners are backing and backing with their wallets i do think that allows you to sort of take those risks in a way that if they said yeah we're backing you but you all of your signings better be perfect otherwise you're done he's probably not going to roll that those dice as much so i feel weird giving credit to billionaire owners uh i I don't want to do that anymore instead i want to hear adam's explanations adam any ideas you know it it feels like there's not exactly one correct answer for how any team makes one big leap from not being a not great club to all of a sudden being what seems like a very good club um and so i'm i i guess i my answer kind of focused in on aston villa as well just because that was the example given um And I think it's important also with Aston Villa to remember that prior to last season, there was, again, a ton of money thrown at the squad coming up to the Premier League and a lot of people brought in. And I think that it took them some time to really gel and it took Dean Smith some time to really uh, settle and adjust and get this squad into Premier League shape and into a team that could compete and then at the kind of at the end of last season where you saw Aston Villa make that basically that month-long run or that four four or five game stretch at the end of the season that essentially saved them they they got out of the relegation zone right at the end you saw a couple of pieces start to really fit together specifically with Tyrone Mings and uh, Ezri Konsa coming together as the center back pairing I think that was pretty big for them and it gave way to the ability to make some smart signings to okay now we know what works and we just have some spaces to fill let's get a more active forward and possibly a a more active right back that can get into the attack so we can free up jack Grealish a little bit and be the player that we know he can be and that he currently is being let's uh shore up our goalkeeping situation a little bit and bring in a very good goalkeeper that all of a sudden again isn't starting in emmy martinez um let's bring in ross barkley because ross barkley does things it's it's all Mm -hmm. It's all signings that make sense, but they come on the back of a lot of time and tinkering and kind of a a lot of hardship in terms of the results that they were getting at the beginning of last season and even through the Mm -hmm. middle of last season of trying to figure out what works and finding it eventually in the nick of time and kind of saving Dean Smith's job to now we have Dean Smith manager of the month status. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I think I think his job being saved is also of importance here because I already talked about him not being sacked, but 
it's also it's the second season for Villa. And a lot of times when you have teams coming up, there's that hesitation of is this squad going to be good enough? Are they going to be able to play they want the way they were playing in the championship when they are having success? And if the answer is Fulham, the answer is no. But mm-hmm. if the answer is Aston Villa, it seems like the answer so far has been yes, because they stay up, skin of their teeth, but they stay up. And then you can sort of build on that. You can you can stick with the kind of plan that you established last season. You strengthen where you need to. You change things up a little bit where you need to. But I think there's something to be said for the consistency in the people who are making the decisions and the people who are hiring people. That would be the owners again, but in the director of football or in, or in Dean Smith himself and the people he surrounded himself with. So if I were going to give my... Like quick summary, I would say like consistency in the personnel that are there, uh, but then also bringing in good players and spending money wisely and having that money in the first place is also pretty big when it comes to competing, at least in the Premier League. Uh, Anything else uh, either of you would like to add on this one? Uh, I would like to say shouts out to the stats nerds because a couple of those big signings, <laughs> uh, Ezri Konza and Ollie mm-hmm. Watkins, came from Brentford, who I know are a big favorite of a lot of the people in the more advanced analytics than I can provide. Uh, <laughs> are you are you into advanced analytics? I, like, do, do you do you, do you get all of those things? Because numbers hurt my brain a little bit. I dabble. I like to be informed, and I try to stay ahead of the advanced analytics of goals, good goals against bad uh, kind of school of thought. Um, mm-hmm. Some might say the Harry Redknapp school of coaching, um, but I, I, I do not pretend to be great with them or, or even understand them perfectly. And I, I have a bunch of friends who are, who have met via Twitter or whatever. And I, I like to get their insights as they're kind of, discussing these things and kind of going back and forth over Twitter. I just kind of skim and then we'll uh, inevitably poke in to make a dumb joke and then leave and let them continue while I, while I learn. (laughs) Um, Ryan, I won't ask you about advanced stats. I will ask you a question that is sort of joking, but also I mean this sincerely. Uh, Yeah, I'm not great at math. You have two kids. Do you need math to raise kids? Is that important? Oh, you know, the internet kids teach themselves (laughs) these days, I think. You know, they've got the internet on computers now. Do they? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's all fine. Oh, worry about it. I'm gonna teach them the 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 multiplication by nine trick that you can do on your fingers, and after that I'm I'm pretty much gonna be useless when it comes to math. So I hope that trick doesn't wear out too quickly. <laughs> You'll be fine. You're gonna be wonderful. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. All right. Well, I can at least uh, count channels because there are many of them on today's sponsor. I don't know if it's a great way to prove my point that I can count by not knowing the number of channels, but I can tell you that there are many uh, channels on Fubo and Fubo TV is how you should be watching television. You get everything you want all in one place for less than the cost of cable. Isn't that right, Ryan Bailey? You know, I'm sick of Taylor. What are you sick of? Cable. Going into my the house. Super, the superhero, right? Going into other people's house. No, I'm talking about literal copper cables or whatever. Okay. All right. Coaxial cables. Going <laughs> under the streets thinking they own the place, into people's <laughs> houses, putting news channels on their TVs. I'm sick of it. 
That's why I'm switching to Fubo TV for live sports, news, and primetime TV without a complicated contract. Do you love watching TV but hate your cable company like me? It's time to finally cut the cord with Fubo TV, and you can pay less monthly for more channels. And I can vouch for this, Taylor, because I am a man who is experienced with digital TV. I have tried all the different companies in the past few years. All of them. There's not one I haven't tried. And I will tell you, Fubo TV, best one. You know why? Why is that? Two reasons. It's got all the soccer balls that you could ask for and also the best UI, the best user interface by far. It's the best one. Deal. It really it really does. I, I, and I will say that like uh, because they're a, a sponsor of today's show, but also just because I really enjoy Fubo. It makes it really easy to find the games that are on, the games that have been on, so that you can then go back and watch them because it has 72-hour uh, on-demand for programs you might have missed. Or if you're me and you forgot to hit the record button, <laughs> then you can go back and watch them that way. But it's really easy to find what's on. During the election, it was really easy to find programming that was not hyperbolic and terrifying. Well, thank you to... Uh, yeah, yeah, just that little one. The BBC, man, do the British cover politics in a hilarious way because it was just two people sitting at a desk literally being like, and we have 600 votes now from Pennsylvania. What does that tell us? It tells us that we have 600 more votes. But it was very calming, and I really did enjoy it. So I'm with you, Ryan, that Fubo TV is terrific. If listeners want to check out Fubo for themselves, how could they do that? I say, if, you, if, it, was my, if it was up to me, Taylor, I would go to FuboTV.com slash TSS. You get a free trial there and 15% off your first month. And that's you, that's you going to FuboTV.com slash TSS. And they've got apps on the app stores. It's wonderful. I recommend you try it. If you've got cable, you should switch over. It is a good deal. No contracts. You can cancel anytime you like. FuboTV.com slash TSS. 15% off your first month and a free trial and none of those cables going under your streets and into your house and in other people's house oh cables that's fubotv.com slash tss thank you to fubo for sponsoring today's episode thank you to ryan for i guess we said the the name of that newspaper earlier in the episode and you really brought out your your son sky sports pundit right there ryan I, i enjoyed it it's a good character who i also Sort of hate. I don't hate you. I just hate the character. Oh, this is my Sky Sports News character. Sounds more like this. <laughs> Please don't read the next uh, ad copy <laughs> with that accent because... This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by Credible. Credible Credible.com is an online marketplace that allows borrowers with student loan debt to see refinancing rates across a variety of lenders. If you've got student loan debt, you could benefit. Ryan, how could people benefit if they have student loan debt? I'll tell you how you could benefit. There's lots of benefits to refinancing your student loans. With a lower rate, you could save on interest or lower your monthly payment, which means more money in your little pockles. That's your pocket, English phrase. You can get debt-free faster. That is not an English phrase. It's definitely not. I made it up. You can consolidate all (laughs) your student student loan bills in one place and you get serious peace of mind. (laughs) Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much better their financial lives have been after refinancing. Uh, Adam, we've had Ryan's entry into what a a British slang word for pockets is. I look forward to you coming up with your own. As I tell our listeners, uh, some benefits of Credible, uh, of using Credible to refinance your student loans, that you see actual pre-qualified rates from multiple lenders, whereas with some online marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or ballpark estimates, and it only takes a couple of minutes to check rates. 
Checking rates doesn't even impact your credit. They're so confident that they have the best rates. I zoomed in on the copy and now it's hard to find. Uh, <laughs> that... <laughs> Uh, they're so confident they have the best rates that they'll give you $200 if you close a loan with a better rate elsewhere. They will never sell your data, so you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. Ryan, if folks want to take advantage of Credible's offer, how can they do so? Call to action. Please visit oh Credible.com slash TSS. That's Credible, C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash TSS. And when you refinance your student loans via Credible, they'll give you a $200 gift card. Fill in a few places of info to check out what rates you are eligible for. Again, that's credible.com slash TSS. Refinance your student loans and start saving. Message from Credible Operations Inc. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. Visit credible.com slash TSS for details. Lovely reading by you. Lovely sponsoring by Credible. Thank them for that. Adam, any words on uh, British slang for pockets? Trouser bins. (laughs) (laughs) Who told you? (laughs) Oh, that is outstanding. Outstanding, fellas. Uh, The next question we have a few more to get through comes from Guy Yedweb. Uh, Wolves have had to replace uh, Jota and Doherty. Doherty? Doherty? Doherty. Doherty. With Podense and Semedo. <laughs> uh, with Potense and Semedo this season, how well have the news players stepped in and have Wolves uh, and do Wolves need to make any changes to adapt? Shall I jump in here? Yeah, go ahead, go for it. Sure. So I'd say with Potence, I think, you know, sort of coming in on the left side uh, for Yota had a, a relatively quiet start so far, you could argue, in, in comparison to Yota. Not as much of a goal threat, I think, is the difference there, isn't it? Jimenez, there's a bit more of a burden on him for scoring. We've seen Potence, you know, get into the right areas at the right times and he's got a decent amount of pace. And it looks like Wolves have got the benefit of having two pretty handy players on both flanks. You've got Podence on the left and when you have a Darmatroyer when he comes on on the right. That should be, I, I guess the idea is that Jimenez gets a service like that. Um, anyone else for yeah. anything on Podence? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think uh, you mentioned Adama Traore there. You've got Pedro Neto as well. Mm-hmm. So it's tended to be uh, Potence on the left, Neto on the right, but then they, they're changing, uh, interchanging pretty well. Uh, Wolves have started the season, I, I, I would say, decently well. Uh, I think Daryl was pleased with where they were. Um, and I think that that's really commendable. Same thing for, uh, for Semedo as well, because Wolves do very specific things. They have patterns of play. Nuno knows exactly what he wants from his players and I think communicates that to them effectively. But that can take a lot of time. And that I think both of these players have, have not stood out in a, in a negative way. That is always my sort of metric of, are there articles being written about like, how, what do we do with this? How do we make this work? Should he go on loan? That they're both sort of not standing out and instead look like they've been in that system and are familiar with it, to me is a very positive sign. Uh, Adam, what have you made of those two gentlemen? You know, I I, I agree with both of you that I, I haven't noticed anything stand out about them in, in a bad way. And I have even noticed some plenty of positive things um, about both of them stepping into those roles that have been vacated by Jota, by Doherty. Um, my big question, I think, with Wolves is – is Wolves satisfied with being just to the level that they were? Because that, mm-hmm. that kind of is the question of the whole, the whole Wolves ambition at this point in time. They've made the Europa League and then, uh, they did decently well in the Europa League last year and then just missed out on qualifying for Europe uh, in the league this, this last year. And I'm wondering if, 
I think that Nelson Semedo and and uh, and Potence are are good, and I think that they are basically fulfilling the roles that were vacated by Wolves, and Wolves kind of were forced to be a little bit reactionary in how they signed players. This, uh, especially with, I mean, especially with Semedo, but is that good enough for Wolves anymore? Are they good enough? Are they fine with just being, you know, this is our level and and we're fine with that? Or do they want more? So what do you mean in terms of these two players then? Do you mean that that means like they need to change the way they're approaching their games? They need to like bring in more people to make them more adept at what they're doing? I mean, like w- what would be the change that you think I would happen? I would say certainly that I don't think that Potence and Semedo have necessarily been better than the people they've been placing. Okay. Um, I, I don't think that – I think that they are they are – keeping the level of wolves where they are at, but they are not necessarily elevating the level of wolves. And I'm, I'm curious to see if, uh, if Nuno has more tricks up his sleeves as far as how he wants them to play and, and what he wants his wolves side to be doing this season, or if you're going to see them be, try to be a little bit more aggressive in the January transfer window, possibly with bringing some new players in. To, to build on that point, I would say that, I would argue that Podence isn't necessarily an upgrade on Jota, whereas Semedo might be on Doherty, which feels like sacrilege to say, having seen how important Doherty's been to Wolves and a long-time servant for them. But Semedo's maybe a different kind of player, and this is something that Tim Spears on The Athletic points out, that he's kind of almost like in that Danny Elvis way, in that Pep Guardiola way, he's got this license to attack and push right to the byline and get those crosses into the box, which you, you know, Doherty did do that sometime but you know with Semedo it's more of a more of an instinct and he's got more more pace pace and athleticism mm-hmm. to push push ahead and do that and and this I think this is something else that Tim Spears says that the unlike at Barcelona he's got sort of the cover he'll have defensive cover when he does go on those um big runs at Wolves so he, he's got more license to do it basically so I would argue that Semedo maybe with time will prove to be a, a pretty shrewd acquisition for them. And Podence probably will be too, but he's just kind of a different kind of player to Jota. Yeah, I would agree with, I would agree with everything both of you just said, to be honest. I would, and then I would double down on the Semedo point for a moment because like, let's be forget he's coming from a Barcelona system. That's four, three, three. He's the right back. He's an attacking right back, but he's still a fullback. Uh, Ryan, what am I not supposed to say in England? Outside back. You guys don't say outside back, but fullback is okay. Uh, he, and so to transition to a wing back is by all accounts something that seems like it is like, yeah, yeah, right back, wing back, whatever. It's the same thing. But by all accounts, it's an incredibly complicated, uh, thing to have to do and to have to learn on the fly. And I think Semedo, that he is still doing the defensive job he needs to. I think he's not quite as fast as maybe Nuno thought. I was watching some of their recent games, especially the Leicester game, where there are some foot races that he is not winning, even if he doesn't have the ball. Mm. But I think his attacking input has been really good. And I think one thing I saw from him is he's making those overlaps, as you'd expect, but he's also making sort of underlaps and drifting central. It's the second time I've referenced him, but it reminds me of what Atraf Hakimi was doing for Dortmund last season of, yeah, he's he's doing his defensive job like when the situation requires, but if that ball is going forward, Semedo is going forward as well. And I, and I sort of, mm. I like that. And again, I find it interesting or impressive that he's able to come in and do that. And so to, to the initial question, it really hasn't required that much 
like adaptation that I've seen, at least. It feels like uh, Podence, not Podence, I always do that. Thank you for call, for correcting me there, Ryan, correcting me. Whew, talking hard. Uh, but I think like he's been able to do sort of what Jota was doing. It's a similar role. He's still learning it and he's scoring goals. Semedo, I think, has come in and done a good job, too. I think they'll probably get better. But I'm also with you, Adam. This is a thing that Daryl and I talked about that like, Daryl was always, I think, of the mindset that this is a team that were in the championship not long ago. So to be in the Premier League and comfortably in the Premier League, like that's great. That's success in and of itself. And I think that that's probably his perspective because Daryl is always a positive person. But I think for a lot of other people, you're right that it becomes a like, all right, but like, when are we going to push on to the next thing? How is this going to evolve? How are we going to go from maybe they'll finish seventh or eighth or ninth to pushing into that top six? I don't really have an answer for that. And I think it does require them to have a couple different looks. And I think that will be interesting to see how they evolve under Nuno. But for right now, I think those players have fit in pretty well. Do we, can we all agree on that one? Yeah, just to push on, they just need you know 10% formation, 90% players. The Harry Redknapp <laughs> routine, it'll work for them beautifully. And for the record, um, you can say outside back, but only if you're Jonathan Wilson and you're referring to a 1930s Hungarian team in your book. <laughs> Which he always is. At any given moment, Jonathan Wilson is referring to a 1930s to 1950s Hungarian team. <laughs> Next question, uh, Adam, we'll start with you on this one. It comes from Christian Ott. Is there a current or former Leipzig or Salzburg player you think Brendan Aronson most resembles or that RB will try and mold him into? This is Brendan Aronson of the Philadelphia Union who will be joining our, uh, Salzburg, RB Salzburg. I don't think they're RB. They might just be Salzburg, but they have the Red Bull logo on there, so they know what they are. Uh, the idea then would be that maybe he moves to Leipzig after that but I wanted to start Adam with like from what you've seen of Aronson uh this season like what do you think are his biggest skill sets why do you think uh, Salzburg were after him in the first place well knowing Salzburg and knowing specifically Jesse Marsh and how Jesse Marsh has kind of how his game has evolved from being Red Bulls head coach to obviously taking uh taking some taking some of those things over to Germany and the whole Red Bull machine that they have over there being a Leipzig assistant and now the head coach for Salzburg. I think that when I look at Brendan Aronson and specifically Brendan Aronson as this kind of creative number 10, number eight, a little bit hybrid player that the Philadelphia Union have played him as, I think that Jesse Marsh primarily looks at Brendan Aronson as somebody who isn't afraid to work a creative player who isn't afraid to go out and run around and press and really try to harry opponents, even when he doesn't necessarily have the ball. Cause I don't think that's a necessarily common trait amongst players. You would describe as a number 10 or, I mean, it, it is kind of the modern 10, right? As, mm-hmm. as, the the tactic du jour moves to everybody presses and counter presses and and you kind of have to distinguish yourself amongst the people that are pressing so looking at brennan aronson and his work rate in addition to the other things that he does which is he can pick a killer pass he can wiggle his way out of tight spaces on the ball he he is a good and talented player in those respects as well I think that kind of best case scenario person that I look at as a, I guess, uh, an ideal for possibly Jesse Marsh to be molding Brendan Aronson into, I look at uh, Minamino and mm-hmm. I look at just that very impressive last Salzburg season and that game against Liverpool and, and everything that uh, that Salzburg team was doing with Erling Holland up top and Takumi Minamino down beneath kind of sitting in that hole. 
And I think that that might be where Jesse Marsh tries to kind of take his game. I think that Minamino is much better than Brendan Aronson at a couple of key things. I think that's something that if, if you say that that's the target, that's the player that you want Aronson to become, he's going to, again, up his work rate even further because Minamino is a monster in how he just harries people and is, a, is an utter nuisance when he is not on the ball. And also, you have to work a little bit more on Brendan Aronson's positioning off the ball and specifically when that ball turns over because that's what Salzburg is all about. They're all about when the opponent has the ball, getting to them and turning the ball over. And when that ball is turned over, where is Brendan Aronson? Because what Minamino did and kind of how he became so indispensable and how he looked so impressive against that Liverpool team is that Minamino constantly knew how to find space. He was almost always very open looking providing very positive looks for his teammates to pass forward into and pressing forward towards the goal i think brendan aronson sometimes can take himself out of games a little bit sometimes can just be accidentally running in people's shadows and not necessarily finding the open spaces in the way that he can and should so I think that it's not a like for like at this point. I'm not saying that Brendan Aronson right now is going to be the next Minamino and he is eventually going to Liverpool and winning the Champions League. But I do think that that is kind of a a trajectory that's within his reach given his skill set, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I think it does. I think it's with Salzburg and kind of the the Red Bull Leipzig or Red Bull organization as a whole. Um, like, I, I think the similarity in the style across a number of their teams is is just we've talked about it before. I'm not breaking new ground here, but I think it's really, really smart because to your point, no. And Aronson is not as good as Minamino, at least not right now. Certainly not as good as Holland, but I think neither one of them was that good until they started playing for Salzburg. And I think the the sort of specificity of the system and the sort of preparation for that in training, it means that everybody is sort of on the same page. I'm a big believer in that idea that if everybody is working towards the same goal and and bought into it and buys into the coach's philosophy, I think it's going to make a massive difference. And so if you're Aronson and you're joining this team and everybody knows what they're doing in drills and know exactly what's being asked of them, you sort of have to uh, adapt to that and get to that level really, really quickly because otherwise you're going to constantly stand out. And to some extent, it feels like the system is really good at producing these young players who turn into much better players than they were when they first started because they get so familiar with that specific system and approach. So I think Minamino is a good nominee. I have one as well that I think is from the current team. Uh, Ryan, do you have a name you want to throw out or do you just want to sit in judgment of my nomination? Uh, I will, I'll certainly do that, but I'll, I'll have my piece as well. I, I, I'll say that I think Aronson you know, is obviously a very exciting play, you know, very technical, he's got good pace. And he reminds me a bit of Jack Grealish. I know he's not kind of the same kind of player, but just because that sort of flair and that you mm-hmm. think he's got a bag of tricks, I think he's very exciting in that respect. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in in Europe, definitely. And when, when I look at this question, I've, the interesting thing I found is how exactly he'll be used. Because when you look at RB Leipzig uh, and the way that Julian Nagelsmann sets up that team, you could see him naturally sitting behind the front two, kind of like he mm-hmm. does with the Union Pine what would it be, Paulson and, and Forsberg these days? It's like the Nkunku or the Marcel Sabitzer kind of position, maybe. With Salzburg, unless I'm mistaken, it's kind of been a one a one man up front kind of deal, isn't it? So not necessarily the same number 10 hole behind the main striker. Is that fair to say? 
I think sometimes they go that route. I've seen them also go still with the sort of Jesse Marsh uh, or maybe it's Red Bull 4222. Mm. I think I got the number of twos right there. <laughs> I usually either get it one too few or one too many. Uh, but, in the, but if they are going to go with that in the 4222, Two, 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 two. Uh, I, I think it does allow him to be one of those more attacking, slightly wide, but still central players. Uh, and then, yeah, if they did go with one up top, maybe he then can kind of sit in a bit more central and be uh, a creator that way. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so, so yeah, I suppose my point was I could definitely see who he goes into that Leipzig formation. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll, it remains to be seen. I don't watch as much as Salzburg as I do of, as Leipzig, so I have to admit. So, oh, no? I, 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 no, strangely enough, the Austri- Austrian Premier League is not high on my watch list i'm i'm very ashamed to say but i'm it certainly will be and i'm very interested to see how this turns out and i will Mm -hmm. double down on the minamino um um, comparison for sure all right then i will throw in my nominee uh he's a player who jesse marsh was actually asked about by grant wall on grant's podcast uh this week i think it was it's i'm gonna butcher his name but dominic uh soboslai he's a hungarian midfielder there's uh at least two Z's in that one. Uh, but he Zobo does play as, <laughs> right, he does play as that left that left-sided uh, attacker in that 4222. Uh, and Marsh said, like, yeah, we basically we expect him to be gone in January. It's just kind of the nature of this team. We sign young players, we sell them on, it's how it works, so we can't be too sad. But he is going to be a very good player for whomever ends up picking him up. And there was speculation that it would be a big European team. Silva's life, for his part, is a, a creative, very big midfielder. I would say Brendan Aronson doesn't have the size. Uh, Silva's life is at least six foot one, but he's got good shooting range. He's got good passing vision. And Adam, to your point, he just he works very hard. Uh, that, Adam, that was one of your initial points, correct? Yes, Forgive me. it was. Yeah, and I think that's what Soboslai brings is he's got the size, but he's going to work off the ball. He's going to challenge for 50-50s, and then he's going to challenge for the second ball after that. And there's that fight to him that is also sort of like colored by the technical ability, the skill moves, and then the ability to score goals. With Soboslai leaving, particularly in January, or it seems like likely in January, and with Aronson arriving in January, I'm going to say that maybe there's also some connection there, too. So maybe it's Minamino is the kind of long-term goal, Soboslai, the, the short-term one, is what I'll throw out. And the silence says you both sounds, agree, and I'm right. a genius. That sounds, uh, that sounds very incredibly reasonable, Taylor. <laughs> hey, man. The U.S. is, like, kind of good right now, so there's no more reason. It's all just enthusiasm. Yeah. Much more still to come from my listener question spectacular with Adam Snavely and Ryan Bailey. But first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who would like you listeners to brace yourselves because winter is coming. But that is not an excuse for you just to bundle up and then stop grooming, stop taking care of yourselves. No, you still have to do that, and Manscaped make it very easy to do so. Uh, for example, the new Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is waterproof with advanced skin-safe technology to reduce nicks and cuts, even as a light to help you with uh, close shaves. The Weird Whacker helps you with ear and nose hair. Uh, it's a trimmer that can help whack those nasty weeds in your delicate holes, say Manscaped. Uh, Uh, This product has proprietary skin-safe technology as well to help prevent the same nicks, snags, and tugs. Nobody wants tugs when they're grooming their nose hair. But it's not just cutting things off. It's also refined things as well. If you'd like to smell good everywhere, they've got the refined cologne. It's a clean and fresh scent designed for the refined gentleman. 
Think Ryan Bailey in a tux. That's what we're talking about. Uh, if you'd like to try those or other products out, you can, and you can get 20% off with free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code TSS20. Be sure to join the Manscaped movement. These products are snow joke. Game of Thrones callback. Uh, thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to Adam, Ryan, and myself. Uh, Rangers also kind of good. Uh, should we talk Rangers for a moment, fellas? Let's Queens Park or Glasgow? All right. Robert Cordova, what is Steven Gerrard doing at Glasgow Rangers that has made them better this season? At time of recording, Rangers are top of the table. They're nine points ahead of Celtic, which for a moment I thought, like, what is happening? The world is turned upside down. Then I realized that Celtic have two games in hand. So it's really probably three points ahead of Celtic. But still, uh, that is not where they have always been in in seasons past. Uh, Celtic are on the verge of winning their 10th straight title, which is something that neither team has ever done. They've never won 10 in a row. So that, I think, is why there's more pressure on Neil Lennon. But that's not who the question's about. This one's about Steven Gerrard. Ryan, do you have thoughts on what has made Rangers better this season under Steven Gerrard? I think they're not terrible in defense anymore. I think that's probably the headline (laughs) uh, for this one. Um, quite easy to see that and it, as you say Taylor it's not as if they are running away with it at the moment Celtic do have two games in hand so they can catch up it is going to be a close race in the Scottish Premiership which is basically what you'd hope for as a Scottish football fan or not of one of the two main teams uh, but uh, for my slightly facetious intro to this section of the podcast is sincere in that I think you know they are much better at the back they you know they've got much better fullbacks I think for when we've looked at the weekend review we've done Rangers a couple of times uh, in the past few months Tete and uh, you know uh, it's James Tavernier and Borna Barisic the, the fullbacks seem to be a really good threat Tavernier going forward I think uh, he's got eight goals this season and you know the 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 the, the, the centre-back Connor, Connor Goldson uh, is in really good form at the moment and just that back four is not leaking as many silly, silly goals as they were. I think that's probably one of the biggest differences. And also Ryan Kent in front of that defence as yep. well, that from came in from Liverpool. Um, not not always, not always in front of the defence, but you know he's 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 been a really good. He's in really good form at the moment. So I'd say the defence and Ryan Kent uh, being being a little bit better. Uh, Wait, uh, Rangers were able to sign a former Liverpool player. How did how did that happen? Is there some sort of connection it? I don't know about? What? I know. Crazy. Shocking. What? It's almost like maybe that was part of the reason he was hired. But I think uh like I think you're right that the defense is more solid. Rangers, I think at this time or around Christmas time last year, were in a similar position and then they go on a historically bad run. Defense is to blame for that. I think lack of goal scoring is to blame for that. Mm-hmm. Um and I think they've done some things to address that. Adam, did you see anything that you think Steven Gerrard has done particularly well? Well, I want to talk about that right back situation too. And okay, I have seen Tavernier and I have seen Tavernier. I've I've heard I've heard both pronunciations. And do we have any do I have any clarification on that before I make an utter fool of myself? Because the last thing, like I was watching a bunch of highlights before this, just so I got back up on my on my Glasgow Rangers uh, knowledge, and I heard multiple announcers say Tavernier. So that's what I was going to go with. But then Ryan came through with a very very confident Tavernier, and it threw me again into a sea of indecision he's from yorkshire he's from bradford so it's tavernier tavernier all right yeah. great <laughs> sure right. But is this a, is this a is this a uh trippier trippier sort of conversation in which we all assume it's trippier but it's actually trippier it might be i i honestly don't know what a wild ride we're on 
Regardless. Wait, hold on. We got, we got, oh, here we're coming we go. in here. here we go. We're coming in. Tavernier? Uh oh. That sounds Tavernier? like. Is that just a person who owns it says? Tavernier. <laughs> I'm going to exactly. say Tavernier, and if anybody gets very uppity about that pronunciation, please direct all emails and mean tweets to Taylor. Anyway. Oh, and by the way, Adam, it's Hammers. <laughs> and how James Tavernier is joint lead scorer in the Scottish Premier League as a right back and in fact he has also joint lead of the assists category as a right back and I kind of looked at that and I said that doesn't make any sense let's look into it a little bit more I do think that obviously you have Rangers that are making less silly mistakes that marked kind of their downward spiral in the back half of last season. But you also have a couple of interesting things that are happening in midfield. Joe Aribo has kind of been given a little bit more freedom, I think, to roam around that midfield role. And he's really starts things start to get really interesting when he and Ryan Kent start overloading that left side and you see a lot of Rangers attacks building on that left side. And all I can come up with is that James Savarnier is getting acres of space to come in as that last attacker coming in at the far post. So just clean up anything that comes his way, any cross that manages to come through any kind of wayward pass that he can put back into the mix. I think it is incredibly odd, but very refreshing to see a fullback as the leader of those two offensive categories. And it's also interesting that it happens to be Tavernier, who is captain of Rangers and was somebody who was kind of drawing the ire of fans last season when before uh, a 1-0 a loss to Hamilton, which was kind of a low point for, for Rangers, uh, of a low point amongst low points. I mean, but, losing to a musical, that's pretty bad. That is true. Me too. Yeah. It was going to be Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda. You could goals. say that Rangers <laughs> threw away their shot. Damn it, Ryan. <laughs> now, it is a problem when your captain before a game is coming out and saying, yeah, we struggle a lot when teams start to kind of press us and make the game a little bit uncomfortable for us, which is subsequently what happened and Rangers lost the game and many people were not happy with that. And many people specifically were not happy with him, but he bounced back. Obviously Rangers are looking really, really good. And I think that, uh, I mean, I know that Celtic do have two games in hand, but Rangers have already won the first edition of the old firm this year, and they won it at Celtic Park to nothing. So even though realistically it might really only be a three-point lead, I'd still say they look pretty good with only having to face Celtic one more time this season and doing it at home. I'm glad that you all both uh, did your research into Hamas Tavernier uh, because I was I was confused by what I focused on. There's a really good TIFO video explaining the sort of evolution of Gerard's approach and that uh, this Rangers team, though they don't have the spending power of Celtic, they have more spending power than a lot of other teams in the SPL. So those teams tend to bunker. That then means that Rangers have to find a way to break that down. And that is where Rangers really struggled for a while. Gerard changes that system to more of a 4-3-2-1 with two number 10s. Brandon Aronson could do fine there if that ends up being the case. <laughs> uh, but there was a stated objective in the transfer window this time or this summer of finding goals. And they bring in Jermaine Defoe on a free. This is a very weird team. Obviously. Uh, they bring in Giannis. They bring in Giannis Haji, uh, the son of Georgi. Uh, he's a, supposed to mid, supposed to be a midfield creator. Kamar Roof, Cedric Itzen, they bring in these attackers and all of them are chipping in uh, four goals, two goals, one goal. But it doesn't, doesn't feel like there's that one big time performer. And I think you all have kind of explained 
where that sort of elevation in performance is coming from. It's the contributions of James. So it also then feels like if he were to get hurt or has to miss some time for whatever reason, maybe we do see Rangers go back on a bit of a downturn. I, uh, by the way, Taylor, I did actually see that TIFO video you're referring to. I'm just going to play you an excerpt from it. <clears throat> Liverpool had lots of fullbacks who score loads of goals and have assists. <laughs> Steven Gerrard saw this and copied it. <laughs> you, you really did. Play, I really you, appreciate he really that played one. the YouTube video. Yeah, I, I got a little bit nervous that he was actually going to play it, and the joke was going to be that it was like verbatim what I had just said. <laughs> but I like yours instead, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that is that is part of it, right? Like we do. Like I, again, I'm with you both that I'm not the most avid watcher of rangers at least not this season but from what i have seen of them uh it does feel like there is an element of we're gonna press we're gonna possess uh we're gonna cause problems for the opposition and uh find a way through and hopefully outscore you using our fullbacks yeah that is my summary. i i mean i think that's a pretty accurate summation of what's been happening all right so then do we think that they will end up being able to sort of sustain a title challenge or at the very least push celtic further than they did last year or do we just not feel comfortable speculating on that one rangers take the title i'm not a coward and i'm gonna put it out there (laughs) i mean sure but let's remember they do like getting red cards when the going gets tough so we'll see they do still have morelos there you are not (laughs) wrong uh Final question on this show is one that I'm going to ask and then dive under the table from Garrett Headley. Adam, it's coming to you first, so buckle up. Is MLS a top 10 team, top 10 league in the world right now? If not, when do you see that happening, if ever? Uh, I would note, I just want to like emphasize this for people who immediately react to what we say. I'm looking at this as a sort of top 10 league in the world for just overall it's not about like the talent that's being produced because i would say like argentina is producing better players but their league from top to bottom there maybe is a debate to be had there i'm not saying we will have that one but i just want to emphasize that it's not like what tends to happen with these types of questions is we'll say like well it's better than the colombian league and then we'll get like well james came from the colombian league so obviously it's not better and there are obviously going to be individual players who are quite good but from a general standpoint uh adam what do you say to this question uh i i say that it's a question that can be answered a, a lot of different ways and it really depends on what yeah. you mean when you say are they a top 10 league and what's your criteria for that i am assuming that when the the listener asks are they a top 10 league they're mostly just kind of referring to the quality of players and games and everything that's occurring uh, to which I say no, and and yeah. and as somebody that loves MLS dearly, and I do really really love MLS, I'm pretty comfortable and confident in saying no. I, I mean, I would just kind of like ticked off countries on my hand, like England, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, the Netherlands, Portugal. That's ten countries. I'm pretty sure I can say pretty comfortably that all of them they have top leagues that I would say are better quality than the teams in MLS mm-hmm. and in a, even a couple of those cases, the second league might even still hold a candle yeah. also to MLS. Mm-hmm. Now that's probably the question. And, and then if that is the answer, no, the, the next answer is when does it become a top 10 league? If it happens, well, sure it'll happen. And that happens either when 
basically every MLS team gets off their butt and actually gets really serious about going after uh, Latin engagement and going after minority engagement with a lot of their their outreach and a lot of their area coverage with how they are both promoting themselves and promoting their academies and doing all that. And or when MLS and Liga MAKs form the North American Megazord League, and then you can say that that's going to be a top 10 league in the world because it will be if and when that happens. But ultimately, the question isn't like that question of just like overall quality Mm -hmm. isn't super interesting to me because I do think that there is a lot to be said for the parody that MLS brings. And I know that that's what all the MLS shills always say, oh, the parody of our league is so great, but it is genuinely great. It's a lot of fun looking at the league and not having any idea year to year who is going to win trophies. I was never going to pick the Philadelphia Union to win the Supporter Shield this year. Lo and behold, they did, and they did it, and they were fun, really, really fun to watch. And I think that that's part of what makes MLS a really great league. I, I think that is an impassioned argument that I would agree with because with this type of with this type of question, you could really cut it a number of different ways. I think I tried to explain up front how I tend to look at this type of thing, but I agree with you that like the league itself, no. Like I, I think and to your point, yeah, I think a lot of championship teams are gonna cause MLS teams problems, if not beat them outright. I don't think DC United are gonna handle Derby. Put it that way. Sure. Um but I, I also think that like it's a really weird world we live in with coronavirus and with COVID. Well, and, and I think it, it like throws everything off in my mind. So I find it harder than ever to sort of compare things in a like, like here's thing A, here's thing B, let's compare it just because everything seems sort of out of whack and schedules are off. But I think that what I generally tend to do is break it into almost like divisions of leagues and i would say you've got your like top top tier of the premier league bundesliga la liga maybe Serie A in there then there's like that second tier one of i think probably france would be in that one for me portugal the netherlands russia as you mentioned adam and i think there's that like third tier that has a lot of other teams and i think you could comfortably throw mls into that one like i wouldn't say that they are top of that third tier but i think they're they're in that conversation they're in the uefa nations league playoffs yeah exactly exactly maybe they're gonna to make it to the next round but uh i wouldn't say all the teams will um i i think i don't really have an answer for the second one right now we can get to that one uh in a moment but first round i wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about how mls is the best league in the world which is not really what i want to do and i don't want to set you up for that i do kind of want to hear about your perspective as a european coming to the united states and sort of how you have viewed major league soccer on a more like personal level i think i concur with most of what you said there is it a top 10 league in the world right now no. Uh, and you look at, the, say, the big five in Europe, and as you guys are saying, you add in the, the, the Eredivisie, the Portuguese Liga, the Brazilian uh, Championship, the, 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 the Championship below the Premier League, mm-hmm. uh, Mexico, Russia, all, all these names. Maybe it's not even top 15. Uh, maybe, you know, but it's also a question of what are you basing it being best on, as Adam touched on it? What is it based on? Is it, is it on the quality? Is it on the star power, uh, parity, entertainment, success in continental competitions? It's kind of, it almost feels like an apples and oranges comparison. And when I look at, I'm lucky enough to be involved a little bit with Charlotte FC here and the kind of the players that they've brought in already, the, the leagues they've loaned them to, to get experience ready for MLS have been the Spanish second division and the championship. And those are, that, those are the kind of levels that the technical people at Charlotte FC see the MLS, as, MLS mm-hmm. as, or they see those leagues as being good groundings to come to MLS from uh, from a physicality and from a technical perspective. So that's that gives you maybe some empirical 
the the only kind of empirical data we're going to get on this question. Uh, but also, the Englishman always wants to throw out the empire. <laughs> <laughs> quite you throwing up tea in your harbor <laughs> um but i also think that it's it, it it doesn't really matter is i think is the point it's, yeah i think it doesn't absolutely matter because as long as it's a league that we enjoy it entertains us and as long as crucially it gets better every year and we see it improving every year and it's going in the right direction i think that's the most important you know thing about mls and uh, to answer the question about when do you see it happening I'll refer back to back in February, Taylor, uh, you, Daryl, and I were at a um, MLS 20, 25th season event in February, which mm-hmm. seems like it was 20 years ago now. Um, it really does. It, where they had the commissioner and had David Beckham and a bunch of people then. Jorge Mas, one of the Inter Miami owners, was there. And he said at that event that he believes MLS will be on par with the best soccer leagues in the world in 25 years. His quote, it will be Premier League-ish in 25 years' time. I don't know what he's basing that on, but that is another little bit of data that we can add to that question potentially. I don't know how mm-hmm. in 25 yeah. years' time the Premier League will be a different product as well. So I don't know whether he's saying they catch up or the Premier League it gets to where the Premier League is now. That's another question altogether. But my overall answer is doesn't really matter as long as we're enjoying the ride. To to make it serious for a moment, and I'm not going to dive too deep into politics, but I think a lot of that idea and that narrative of it will get there, it's definitely going to get get there eventually, rests in a little bit of like American exceptionalism of the idea that like, well, everybody wants to be here and there's stability and, and you know what you're going to get and you're going to get paid and it's not going to be dramatic and no one's going to bother you in the streets and it's going to be fine. And I think that what that lasts, like from when we were in New York until now, what like politics and COVID have shown is that maybe America isn't in that strong of a position, not to say it's in a bad position, but I would say that like the pandemic has shown that maybe things aren't quite as like stable as we all maybe thought they were. And so I think to some extent, some of that idea of like, you know, it's a superpower and we're the leader of the free world. Everybody wants to be here. I think some of that has maybe been exposed a little bit. Maybe that's just my own cynicism about the modern world. But I think that that is part of where that logic tended to rest. I think also maybe this is a little bit cynical and I don't mean I really don't mean any disrespect to Garrett. But I would ask you to this question, like when you saw this one included, did you have a excited reaction to reading this question? Did you have a like, well, OK, or did you have a more like, ah, um, I guess we can answer that one. Like, were you more positive or negative about this question? I I felt neutral towards it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and obviously, I say this as somebody who covers MLS for a living. Um, I just was kind of bored by it. You know, yep. like I I I'm I don't mind answering the question, but I don't think it's necessarily a question that I'm that interested in anymore. Maybe maybe I was interested in that question when I was fully you know just going all in on mls like Mm -hmm. five years ago 10 years ago whenever um before i was covering the game regularly um but i don't i don't think it's necessarily a i don't i don't know if it's a benchmark that's worth talking about just because it is so hard to quantify Ryan, is that about where you were? Adam, you're upsetting Garrett. Yeah, I'm sorry, Garrett. I would, I would say, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. But also, yeah. I was, I was pretty neutral when I when I heard this question. I think it's a, a perfectly valid question to ask. I think it's, an, it yeah. can be an interesting discussion. But I'll go back to my point that I don't think it matters. That I don't think the answer to the question matters at this stage. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I think that, uh, that's maybe that's a, a a fair or a better way to put it than than what I was asking. Because again, I don't want to be disrespectful to Garrett or anybody who's asked questions, sure. and I appreciate it. And I think anytime there's a question, a lot of times when I'm like not hyped about a question, the more I think about it, the more excited I get. I think with this one, I, I am in that mindset of like. I don't know, but I also think we don't need to know because it's like, no, it's its own thing. It's good. Like comparing it to the Premier League is a fool's errand. But I also think that like if you compare the Premier League to the Bundesliga, it gets kind of hard really quickly because it's like, well, are the lower tier Bundesliga teams really as strong as the Premier League? Is the Premier League an entity unto itself? Like you can kind of have that debate and it gets really murky really fast. And to some extent, I think when you have a question about like why are rangers better you can point to specific things when it comes to is it a top 10 league in the world some would argue yes i think more people would argue no but it's a harder thing to have a like specific answer to which maybe is exemplified by how long i've been rambling in my response sure and and i and i i will say that i, I uh, I'm, I don't mean any disrespect to Garrett, and, and yeah. I do, th- and I do yeah. think that there is. I think Garrett, like, it's, like, Garrett, we love you. We love you, Garrett. <laughs> we would never do anything to hurt you, Garrett. <laughs> uh, I'm just an abrasive New Yorker, Garrett. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that it's possible also that it becomes a touchy subject for so many people because it's been a question that lingers around for so long, and for so long was kind of a flashpoint for people to really argue and get into the weeds about very specific things and and yeah ultimately like what what ryan says i don't don't think we need to know at this point there we are well i think adam agreeing with ryan ryan agreeing with adam uh and then me being somewhere in there as well is a good place to end uh but we've uh, answered several questions i hope everybody was pleased with those responses i was and i was uh very happy to get to chat with both of you today uh adam what have you got uh in the pipeline what are you working on these days uh working with jimmy conrad doing stuff on twitch and also my personal newsletter so if you're interested in looking at those things it's twitch.tv slash jimmy conrad it is also snavely.substack.com and if you're just more interested in hearing a lot of my unfiltered thoughts go and follow Follow me on Twitter at Snaves. Ooh, unfiltered. Snaves unfiltered. unfiltered. Uh, Ryan, uh, I know that you have been doing weekend reviews with some loud American guy, uh, but I think you're going to be doing a solo weekend review this Monday. How are you feeling about that one? Feeling pretty good. Very excited. (laughs) Always happy to do the weekend review. And yeah, it's going to be an action-packed one because real soccer's returning this weekend. Yay! (laughs) I should also clarify what I say. When I say solo, it will not just be Ryan by himself. He will have a guest, but it will be Ryan hosting that one uh, because my wife, Margaret, is supposed to, she is at 40 weeks this Saturday. Heck so yeah. there's no supposed to when it comes to, to, to having a baby. But we're, we're preparing for it accordingly. So Ryan will be with you all on Monday to do weekend review and some shows after that. But for now, thank you both very much for taking the time to answer all of the listener questions with me today. Oof, you're welcome. Always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> Looking forward to one day meeting baby Ryan Rockwell. <laughs> gonna be a little Rockwell, baby.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.